In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's Gospel, Jesus is offering us two stories. And two stories that are perfect, I think, in a way, to really sum up the this, this season of Denha, the season of Epiphany, the season that came after Christmas, in which again, each week we were unpacking about what Jesus was. We had this realization, this deeper and deeper realization of who Jesus was in our life, and He's making it much more known to us. In today's Gospel, He gives us two stories, one of the leper, and the second of the centurion. And each one, again, reveals to us how it is that we should approach Jesus, and how we should take these as models of our faith. In the first story, the story of the leper, Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches the untouchable. He does what no one in his day would do. He touches the leper. Leprosy is one of the worst diseases you can possibly imagine in that day. In most, in the, in the Jewish uh, Hasidic books, there would always be these prayers that you could pray away, uh, certain diseases and whatnot, but leprosy was the only one where like, we don't know how to cure it, and so there's no cure for it, and they let it go. Leprosy was this disease in which the flesh began to eat itself until your arms would fall off, until your legs would fall off, until your toes would fall off, things would fall off, right? Your limbs would fall off piece by piece, and so there was no known, no known cure, and it was really believed that as soon as someone touched it, you would, you would receive this leprosy. And so lepers were outcasts. Nobody, nobody wanted them around, because as soon as you touched them, they thought it was very contagious, and so no one even dared to approach a leper, and a leper was not allowed to approach anyone else. And yet, this man approaches Jesus. He approaches Jesus with the realization that no leper in his day could even remotely approach a rabbi. The moment he tried to approach a rabbi, he would be chased off. He'd be stoned. And so here's this leper who says, I just want to be clean. I want to be able to worship God again. He's not even allowed to worship God in the temple because he's unclean. And so he goes to Jesus with great confidence and humility. And those are the ways in which we should go to Jesus, with this great confidence and this great humility. He goes to Jesus, he approaches Jesus, knowing that Jesus is the only one in his life who has the power to truly change his life. Nothing else in this world has the power to change your life as Jesus does. And the leper understood this. He knows this. He knows that nothing will cure him. Only Jesus. So he goes to him with this perfect confidence that while everyone else chases him away, while everyone else you know, flees in the face of him, he goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will it, I want to be clean. And Jesus says, I will it. How many of us in our lives, how many of us again do we think always that we're too unclean to go to Jesus? That we don't have this confidence in Jesus that He is the one who's able to heal us. That He is the one who's able to cleanse us. That is the good news that no one is too unclean to be cleansed by Jesus. No one is a sinner. So much of a sinner that he can't go to Jesus and be forgiven. And how beautiful is that? But do we live with that confidence? 
The second virtue that he shows is this humility. You'll notice that the leper didn't go to Jesus and demand healing. He doesn't demand healing from Jesus. He doesn't say, I have this claim on you. I deserve this. I've gone through so much of my life in pain and agony, and I deserve this healing. He doesn't do that. No. He goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if it is within your will, let me be clean. And it's as if the leper is saying to Jesus, I know I don't matter. I know, Lord, I don't matter. I'm just one of many people. I know that others are going to run away when they see me. I know that others flee. People chase me with stones. But maybe you will have mercy on me. Maybe you will have that ounce of compassion on me. Maybe you will look upon me, a sinner who needs you. And you will take the time to help. Lord, I've exhausted all my options. There's nowhere else for me to go but to you. And Jesus says, I love you. I will take that time to heal you because I care for you. It's out of this humility that the leper sees that he's able to push, push aside everything else in the world. He pushes aside everything else in the world and he realizes how much it is that he needs Jesus. He doesn't think he's better than anyone else. He doesn't think he deserves this healing. But he pushes aside everything and he's able to see clearly what he needs. That is how we approach Jesus. With this confidence that he can change us and with this humility that we're not better than anyone else. We don't really deserve much of anything. And yet, Jesus gives us everything that we could have ever imagined. And that is his love and his salvation. Jesus wants to save us if we just open our hearts and realize that we just need him and nothing else. When we come to the second story, I think it's, it's one of the story of the centurion. It's one of the most beautiful stories in the gospel because it really shows us the model of faith. Here's the centurion. By the way, a centurion was this Roman guard who basically they were kind of one of the foundation units of the Roman army. So, for example, a century means 100 years. A centurion would be in charge of about 100 men in the Roman army. So remember during this time, the Romans had conquered, the, had conquered Israel. They were uh, basically running Israel. And the, Ro the Romans and the uh, Jews did not like each other. Not an ounce. They didn't like each other at all. Right? To say they didn't like each other is an understatement. Basically, they hated each other. And so here's this Roman, this centurion, who should not even be talking to Jews. And he goes to a Jewish rabbi. He goes to Jesus. Because he has this confidence. He has this problem and he knows that only Jesus is the one who's able to solve it. Now what strikes us even further about this is that the centurion doesn't go because, you know, maybe his wife is sick or his son is sick. No. He goes to Jesus because his slave is sick. This is the amazing thing. And when we think about the love, that we have for one another, that is where we're able to really approach Jesus. When we love our neighbor, when we love our enemy, we're starting to move away from sin. So here's this centurion who says, I've exhausted all options, I need my slave, I love my slave, as if he was a member of the family. As if he was a member of the family, and I, he's, here he is, he's paralyzed, I want him to be healed. And so he goes to Jesus with this great faith. 
And Jesus says, I'll come over. I'll come over and I will heal your slave. And the response of the centurion is one that's very beautiful. Lord, I'm not worthy for you to enter to my house, but only say the word and my slave will be healed. My soul will be healed. Beautiful. Beautiful confidence this man has in Jesus. And he does it all for the sake of his slave. Here he is, he's risking his reputation. If other Romans see this man with Jesus, with Jews, he's going to be blasted around the community. He's going to have his reputation that's going to be damaged. Even his position as a centurion of the Roman army might be forfeit. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He knows who he has to worship, and that is who he goes to. Now what I want us to focus on about the centurion is this. And I want mothers and fathers, and I want, I want couples to understand this, and I, even want, I want everyone in the church to hear this who comes to church every Sunday. I want you to hear this with an open heart and open mind. If the centurion loved his slave this much, and especially for parents, if you love your kids, here he is, he loves his slave, right? If you love your kids just as much as man loved his slave, how much more should we be willing to guide them to Jesus? How much more should we be willing to really connect with the spiritual things to guide them to Jesus? In just a couple weeks, we have Lent. Not this week, but the next, right? We have Lent. And a lot of us kind of, kind of fall out of this practice of really giving up something, especially as we get older, we fall out of the habit of prayer, and we come up with a million excuses. Well, I go to church on Sunday anyways, or when I can, and you know what, that should be enough, so I, I think I do enough as far as a Christian goes, but it's not enough. It's not enough. It's a centurion who's willing to go to Jesus uh, for the sake of his slave. You should be more willing to go to Jesus for the sake of your children. All of us, each and every day, for the sake of your spouse, for the sake of your family. We must be willing to guide those to Jesus, those we love most in our lives, to Jesus. And so the question for us today becomes this. Do we place enough confidence on Jesus that Jesus is the only one who's able to guide you into what you're truly looking for in life. Because, my brothers and sisters, we can truly, and I think Lent is a beautiful time to reflect on this. We have this over-tendency, because we're human, to reflect on these things of the world, that these things of the world, as long as we have more and more of them, we'll be happy, we'll be set for life. Not the case. Do we have a humble heart? Do we realize that without Jesus we are nothing? That without guiding, our spouses, our families to Jesus, we're guiding them to nowhere. We're guiding them into the darkness of the world, and that's it. A lot of us place a lot of, too much faith on the school system, on this government. Oh, they'll raise my kids. Not the case anymore. They'll raise them to the darkness. There has to be that light of hope within your families, and that light of hope within your families comes first from the parents, from the spouses. I can shout to you statistics all day. You know, I can say, all of us have heard that statistic that if children in a household only see their mother praying, there's about a 20-30% chance those children will still retain the Christian faith as they move on with life. But if they see both the father and the mother praying, there's about an 80% chance that they will retain the Christian faith 
Suddenly religion just doesn't become a thing for women, but it becomes a thing for everyone. We have to be that example of Jesus for our kids. Not only for our kids, but for society. Society has to see you fasting. If we just kind of toss aside fasting and prayer, as if they're not a big deal, as if they're compensated somewhere else, we're really missing the point of what it means to be a disciple and a student of Jesus. Jesus calls you here today, not just because it's something we do on Sunday to kill the time, but because He wants you, each and every one of you, to be disciples. But after He makes you disciples, after He makes you students, it doesn't end there. He makes you into apostles. And to be an apostle means one who is sent out into the world. One who is sent out into the world. We're not called to be the light of the world only in church, but in our everyday lives. But first and foremost, with our families. We can't just let our children do what they want because society says it's okay and we know it's wrong, but you know everyone else is doing it. We need to take a step back and really examine our Christian lives. Examine our Christian lives in the light of Jesus and what He wants for you and your family. And so my challenge for you is this. As we near upon Lent, just a week away, it's a perfect time to really examine our lives. Examine our lives. There might be spiritual practices that you kind of threw out, that, you know, as time goes on, I, you know, I used to pray every day, I used to read the Bible every day, things like that, whatever our excuse might be, Lent is the perfect time to bring those back in. To unite ourselves with those spiritual things that unite us to Jesus. And when we do it as a family, when our children see the example of the parents doing it, how beautiful is that example that we can show our children that we submit ourselves with confidence to Jesus. Because we know that Jesus is the only one, at the end of the day, who's able to save us. If we're not following Jesus, we're following the darkness. We're following nothings. We're following death. Jesus wants us to follow life. That's why He gives us the church. That's why He gives us the Holy Eucharist, the Qurban. Because He wants nothing more for us than life. Don't waste it. Don't look to the world for direction. You'll be disappointed. Instead, be that light of Jesus to your families. Be that light of Jesus to your friends. Incorporate spiritual prayer. Think about what you're going to fast together as a family. Right? And for all you couples who, you know, for example, I want you guys to invite others to pray with you. Lent is a time to invite others to see how good Jesus has been to you. Show them how good Jesus can be to them as well. So it's always nice, right? Yeah, we'll play together. There's a couple things like that. It's great. It's, it's cute. It's beautiful. Invite your friends who might be on the wrong path. Invite them to come and see who Jesus is. Invite them to come and pray. I know it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. But that is the only way to approach Jesus. It's humiliating. To humiliate yourself means... You've basically tossed out your pride and you're willing to tell everyone in life, I don't care if I'm a fool because I'm a fool for Jesus and I want to invite you to come and see who Jesus is. Invite others to pray. Bring fasting back into your life. Bring daily prayer back into your life. But do it as a community. Do it together. So we can all at the end of the day say that Jesus Christ is my Lord, my God, and my Savior. Amen?